Welcome to Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. On Tuesday, March 2nd, the city of Chattanooga will hold elections for both city council and mayor. I sat down with Monty Brule, local entrepreneur, business, and nonprofit consultant, to discuss his campaign for the mayor's seat. Let's get started. I'm here with Monty Brule, who is running for Chattanooga City Mayor. And Monty, I'd just like to give you a minute or two to introduce yourself, tell people what you're about, and how you first decided to run for mayor. Sure. Um, as, Nate, as Nathan said, my name is Monty Brule, and I am running uh, to be uh, Chattanooga City Mayor. Um, along with, uh, I think, what, 14 or 15 other candidates. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a very popular job this year. Everybody seems to want it. Uh, I'm, I'm running uh, to be mayor for a couple of reasons. One is, is I'm a native Chattanoogan, but I've lived a lot of different places. And I moved back to Chattanooga about 10 years or so ago. And I realized that while some people seem to be doing very, very well, Others are not doing well at all. Um, I describe Chattanooga as being like a bright, shiny pickup truck. Some of us are riding up front in the cab. We've got the air conditioning on, the music playing, and we're just enjoying the view from, uh, through the expansive windshield. But there are too many Chattanoogans who are stuck in the bed of the truck, exposed to the elements, not enjoying any of the amenities that the people in the cab have. And the problem with this is that pretty soon we're going to load so many people in the bed of the truck. So many people are going to be mired in poverty that the truck is going to exceed the the capacity. The, The load will exceed the capacity and we'll all be broken down together by the side of the road. That's not good for the people in the bed. It's not good for the people in the cab either. And, and so we've got to do something about the huge income and wealth inequality that exists in, in Chattanooga. So that's the primary reason that I want to be mayor, because I want our city to work for all Chattanoogans, not just a privileged few. Well, great. And, and in order to do that, uh, I'd like you to kind of go through what do you think Chattanooga's top strength or asset is? What can we capitalize on to help you fulfill that mission of making a Chattanooga a good place for everybody? What do, what do we already have that we can make better? So I have a good friend, Tom Barkin, who is president of the Richmond, Virginia Federal Reserve Bank. Uh, he's a college classmate of mine, and, and he's done a lot of research in how mid-sized cities can be competitive uh, in the future. And what the Richmond Fed has discovered is that instead of trying to compete with big cities like Atlanta or New York or, or even Nashville, um, mid-sized cities need to focus on what they do well accentuate their strengths. That's where true competitive advantage is going to come. So when we look at Chattanooga, 
the first thing that we have to recognize is just the natural beauty that we have around us. I mean, there's a reason that Outdoor Magazine named us not only the Outdoor City of the Year, but they came back the following year and said, who are we kidding? Chattanooga is the best <laughs> outdoor city ever. Uh, and, and so, you know, we've got 20 miles of the Tennessee River flowing right through the middle of town. Uh, you can be, you know, rock climbing within, you know, 10 minutes of, of downtown Chattanooga. There's a lot going on. The other thing that we have going for us is we do have the best internet infrastructure on the planet. Uh, we're at uh, 10 gig, a parallel 10 gig up and down right now. But our system is ready to jump to 50 gig. There's nowhere in the world that can offer you 50 gig. The only reason we don't do it now is because there's no hardware to accomplish. <laughs> the hardware manufacturers haven't caught up to where our platform is. Right. So, so in an era where companies are, are telling employees, you don't ever have to come to the office again, you can stay at home, you can work from anywhere. People who are now you know, paying exorbitant rents and mortgages in Silicon Valley and Seattle, they can move to Chattanooga. We have a better internet platform than Silicon Valley, than Seattle, and we have a much better quality of life here. Uh, $200,000 may not take you very far in California, but you can live like a king or a queen in Chattanooga on that money. So I think that's going to be an economic opportunity for our city to, to be a home for uh, distance workers who, who aren't bound to, to coming to a physical location anymore. They can, they can actually work from anywhere. And then the third thing that I would say is a huge asset to us is our location. We are equidistant between Atlanta Birmingham, Nashville, uh, Knoxville. There's no reason that we uh, couldn't be an R&D capital in the Southeast. We've got NASA in Huntsville. We've got Oak Ridge National Labs in uh, Oak Ridge, uh, Georgia Tech in Atlanta, Vanderbilt in Nashville. Why can't we, we focus on leveraging our convenient location to all of those institutions and bring them together to do joint ventures here in Chattanooga. We're the logical place for that kind of joint venture activity. And it's something that we've really not even tried to tap into, but I, I think it's, uh, it's just waiting there for us to, uh, to take advantage of it. So I want to walk through some of these answers in a little bit more detail. Your first one are our, position as an outdoor hub is, like you said, obviously we've been named twice by outdoor.com. Outdoor magazine is, is the number one outdoor city in the country. Um, what are your thoughts on how we manage that new, new reputation? Um, how do we balance, you know, access with preservation and, and how do we make sure that everybody can, can access these resources equally? I think we've actually done a pretty good job uh, up until this point with preservation. Uh, we've got the uh, Tennessee River uh, Gorge Land Trust that I believe is the largest uh, uh, land trust of its kind east of the Mississippi River. And uh, 
and, and so we have a lot of pristine wilderness that won't ever change. It will always be in its natural state. Uh, where, where I think we've fallen down is providing access to every Chattanoogan who should enjoy uh, the benefits of our outdoor setting. Um, we have kids who live in Alton Park, who live in East Lake, who live in East Chattanooga, who have never even seen the Tennessee River. Uh, I, I, I think it is really a shame that, that, that someone can grow up just a couple of miles uh, from the Tennessee River and, and never have laid eyes on it. Mm -hmm. So what we've got to do is make sure that we don't turn our outdoors into just a luxury product for affluent residents and affluent tourists. Uh, every kid who grows up here should be able to go rock climbing, should be able to go paddle boarding. Uh, and, and so as mayor, one of the things that I'm going to do is revamp our YFD and rec department because we've got to uh, improve the, the programmatic offerings there and, and really uh, get back to the business of recreation. You know, I like that we're using our centers to provide after-school tutoring and, and that's great, but you can't have a sound mind without a sound body. And, and recreation is at the core of what that department does. And I, I think it's healthy for our kids to, uh, uh, to be able to enjoy the physical beauty and, and, and the surroundings that, that we have here. Uh, the, other, the other thing I'll say about the outdoors is that we have relationships with every outdoor company from Nike to uh, Columbia and North Face, all, all of these companies. And we've never really tried to partner with them and, and have never asked them to invest in our city too. So when I talk about expanding all of these things, I'm not just talking about using taxpayer money. I think there's private money that we can access as well. Right. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm looking at that background behind you as I'm talking, Nathan, and, and it's, it's, we live in a beautiful place, uh, but we've got to do a better job of providing access to everybody. The other part of that is if you, if you are a tourist here, let's just say you're, you're a wealthy tourist and you come and you stay in a you know, five-star hotel here in Chattanooga and you want to take public transit to go, let's say, to Reflection Riding or the Nature Center, good luck to you. Uh, you're not going to be able to, to do that very easily. So we, we've got to prov provide transportation to uh, a lot of uh, our recreational offerings as well. Uh, it's one thing to have them. Uh, it's one thing to promote them. But once the people come here or, or the, for the people who live here, we've got to provide them uh, easy access via good public transit to, to be able to enjoy those things. And I want to come back to, to transit in a, in a little bit, but I'd like to move on to your, your other point about our location and as a research hub. And this is just a real quick question. Um, what's kind of your, your real policy initiative behind that? Are you proposing that the city build some kind of R&D hub or just act as a liaison? Uh, what's the level of commitment that you're proposing that we, that we put into that idea? 
Right now, we spend a lot of time, uh, money, and, and resources chasing large multinational corporations. Mm-hmm. And to our credit, we have landed Volkswagen, we have yes. landed Amazon. Yep. Uh, we, we do have something to show for those efforts. But we have put those uh, businesses up at Enterprise South, halfway to Ottawa. Mm-hmm. 20 miles from the urban core where the people are who need the jobs. Uh, and the dirty little secret about Enterprise South is that 35% of the people who work there don't even live in Hamilton County. Mm-hmm. So the taxpayers of Chattanooga and Hamilton County are subsidizing jobs for people who live in Bradley County, Meigs County, and even North Georgia. Um, when I think about creating joint venture opportunities. I'm thinking about partnering with UTC, with with Chat State, uh, looking at the thousands of acres of of undeveloped land that we have in South Chattanooga, for example. Now, I know some of it is brownfield land and we're gonna have to do something to clean it up, but there's no reason why we shouldn't be locating businesses right in the middle of Chattanooga so that the people who most need the jobs can have easy access to those jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, average, uh, the average wage, I believe, uh, for workers, for blue collar workers in Chattanooga is about 700, uh, uh, is, a, is about $700 uh, uh, I, I, that must be every other week. So, so let's say fourteen hundred dollars uh, a month. The average apartment in downtown Chattanooga costs eleven hundred dollars a month. So, so it's totally unaffordable. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got to provide better-paying jobs for for people who live in the inner city to uh, to bridge that affordability gap. So, when I talk about uh, creating joint venture opportunities. I'm not talking about uh, putting these these jobs up in Ottawa. I want to put them in Alton Park in East Chattanooga, uh, right in our urban core, so that people who need the jobs can have easy access to them. And that actually dovetails really well into another question that I have. Um, sort of about development in general, and we'll kind of dive down into some of these details as we go along. Uh, but just development, broadly speaking, is a big issue that I hear people bring up a lot. Uh, people are worried about overdevelopment. People are worried about underdevelopment. You can't make everybody happy. Um, there's issues like, you know, water quality, steep slopes is a big one that's been, you know, bouncing back and forth in the city council for at least a year. Um, and and some people are worried that there's, you know, too much regulation that is making the housing supply too expensive. Some people are worried there's not enough regulation. So just broadly speaking, what is your policy going to be around development and, and just the general direction that you think you'll take in terms of regulating development? Yeah. I want to say at the uh, outset that I am pro-development, but I am pro development that is the right kind of development. I want to create in Chattanooga what I would term a clean money economy. And that's an economy that balances economic development, environmental sustainability, and social justice. Uh, 
So it's not development for the sake of development. It's really intentional, deliberate development that adds value to the quality of lives of, of all Chattanoogans. Now, in general, I think that we've had this good old boys club here in Chattanooga that, uh, that we're going to have to break up, quite frankly, and I'm just going to be <laughs> honest about it and, and, and say that. When you look at the Regional Planning Commission, uh, it has too many developers on it. Uh, we, we have the foxes guarding the hen house when it comes to development. And I have said uh, in a Regional Planning Commission meeting, I said to, to them, I said, I want you to do the hard things. I want you to look at our city and I want you to, to see what it will take for us to be leaders, leaders in development, leaders in sustainability, uh, leaders in social justice. Uh, and I said, I'm disappointed with you guys because I see you doing the easy stuff. You're trying to make it easy for you. And I want you to, I want you to be leaders. I want people to say, look at Chattanooga because they do the hard stuff. And they do it the right way. And as mayor, I'm going to appoint people to the Regional Planning Commission who will be challenging, who will say, no, we're not going to do this this way. And so we're going to take a look at things like steep slope development. And, and there, there's got to be a limit, right? We, we can't just see every available patch of land that's on a hillside or, or ridge side and go, oh, I think maybe we can figure out how to slap a building on that because that's ridiculous. The city of Chattanooga is the largest owner of impervious surfaces in, uh, in the city. So we have a huge stormwater runoff problem. How do we address that? Well, we need to look at... at, at uh, at porous surfaces where, where water can, can not go into our sewer system, but can be absorbed and, and eventually, you know, go down to our water table and, and contribute to, to the sustainability uh, uh, of the area. Another way that we can do that is by focusing on native plants. We, if, if we encourage landscaping utilizing uh, indigenous native plants that have long root structures, healthy root structures that actually will not only prevent runoff, but will leach toxins out of the mm -hmm. soil that will, will purify our water table, uh, will improve the quality of runoff going into tributaries and rivers. So, so there are all kinds of things that, that we can do. Um, we don't want to be a no development city, but we do want to be a smart development city. And, and, and I, I believe that if we convene all of the stakeholders, if we bring develop, developers, contractors, environmentalists, uh, neighborhood activists, if everybody comes together, we can figure out how to get this done so that there's something in it for, for everybody. I, I don't want to take away anybody's livelihood. I'm not trying to, to slow down our economy, but I care about what the economy is gonna look like for our kids and our grandkids <laughs> and their kids. And, and we can't just be self-serving and short-sighted in this moment. We've got to take a longer view, slow our thought, a process a little bit and come up with something that's right and that will work.
So earlier you were talking about, um, you know, we've, we've already addressed the environmental issue. Uh, earlier you were talking about affordable housing and how, you know, our wages are, are fairly depressed and our, our housing prices are, are kind of normal, but for the wages people make here, they're pretty high and it's, it's unaffordable for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people are worried about gentrification, you know, these neighborhoods changing drastically very quickly uh, is kind of how I understand it. There's a lot of different ways to define it. Um, but, but we're seeing an influx right now of out of state investors, out of town investors, New York, California, all over the place, buying houses, renovating them, and then either renting them or selling them like way above, you know, general market prices and definitely far above affordability prices. And then on top of that demand for public housing and section eight vouchers is falling, you know, way beyond supply. We have not enough supply for either of those. Um, so what will your administration do to increase housing affordability and ensure that, you know, long-term city residents who have been here for, for a long time, maybe grew up in the same neighborhood all their lives, um, what is your administration going to do to make sure they're not pushed out of their neighborhoods? Um, My degree is in economics. So I want to say that gentrification can't be stopped. It can only be slowed down. Mm-hmm. And, and there are some things that we can do to slow it down. The first thing that we have to do is we've got to put some limits on all of the outside investment that's coming into Chattanooga. Uh, it's driving the housing prices artificially uh, high. Uh, and it means that our real estate is owned by people who have no uh, connection to our city. Uh, when someone in Los Angeles buys 20 houses in East Chattanooga, that is not a good thing. It changes the culture of the neighborhood. And it, it gives you a dispassionate owner who's only looking at return on investment in that property. Um, so I think that we need to have uh, uh, a two-tiered regulation system. I think that while it may be okay for a resident of Chattanooga to operate a short-term vacation rental property, I think that we're going to have to put a moratorium on allowing outside non-Chattanooga investors to come in here and, as I said, buy up 20 houses and decide that they're just going to operate them as short-term vacation rentals. That's not good for our city. It's not good for for our culture. It's not good for uh, affordability of housing. The second thing that we have to do is we have to find ways to allow people who are renters to convert to being homeowners. If you take a look at East Chattanooga, what you will find is that 65% of the residents in East Chattanooga are renters and only 35% of people own their homes. The reason that many of the renters can't become homeowners is they don't have access to capital. Banks are not standing uh, online encouraging them to come and apply for mortgages. Uh, we're going to have to have a, uh, some kind of, of, of symposium or meeting or summit with the banking and financial uh, uh, institutions to, to provide better access to capital. 
Um, I've had conversations with the people at CNE, Chattanooga Neighborhood Enterprise. Uh, there are, uh, I think there are tools that, that can be brought to bear so that we can help more people become homeowners. And when we convert uh, residents to home ownership, that does a couple of things. One is it allows them to build wealth because in America, for most families, the single largest appreciating asset owned by the family is their family residence. Mm -hmm. And so once you own a residence, whether you do you know, anything else beyond that, you're going to be creating wealth for you and your family. Uh, so that's an opportunity. The other thing is it stabilizes the culture of the neighborhood. If people who've lived there for 10 years can become owners and, and live there for 10 or 20 more years, it says that what is unique about that neighborhood, what is valuable about that neighborhood, what is most enjoyable about that neighborhood is going to be preserved. It's not going to, uh, uh, to change. And again, when you have people from Texas and California and New York buying up all the property, they have no interest in preserving our history, preserving our culture or any of that. So home ownership is very, very important. And it's something that we're going to have to address as a top priority. And then moving on to a related issue is, is transportation. Uh, there are a lot of people that are of the opinion, you know, we are an outdoor oriented city. We should be putting more focus on building infrastructure for cycling and walking and more multimodal transportation. There's other people who think that we're spending way too much money on that because they don't see anybody using what we already have. And so they just think it's a waste of money. It's, it's another one of these things we can't really make everybody happy. Um, I'm just wondering what your priorities are going to be with regards to transportation infrastructure. I talk to people all the time who tell me, you know, I would love to use the bus, but it, it doesn't come to my neighborhood mm -hmm. or it's, there's only one bus a day that comes to the neighborhood. Uh, if you look at CARTA, our public transit system, it essentially is a shuttle between downtown and Hamilton Place Mall. If what you want to do with your day is go between those two destinations, there are plenty of options. But if you, if you live, um, you know, in, in North Chattanooga and, and you're trying to get to, let's just say East Lake, uh, that's a, that's an all day trip for you. Uh, and, and, and I'm not sure you can get it done, you know, even then. So, what I want to do first and foremost is I want to make all of Carta buses free to ride for all people all the time. Uh, revenue from fares only covers 11% of Carta's operating expenses. We're not talking about a lot of money to eliminate fares. And what people don't realize is that when you eliminate fares, there's about a million dollars in expenses that you also eliminate. You don't have to buy the plastic cards. Right. You don't have to lease the expensive SaaS computer software uh, to, to run the system. So there are some cost savings as well there. Mm -hmm. I think that we will have to reroute the system uh, mm -hmm. because if, you're, if the buses aren't going places where people want them to go, 
then they're not going to ride them at all. So rerouting the system is very important. Uh, and the, the, the final thing I will say about CARTA is I was in um, Norfolk, Virginia a couple of years ago, and they have this incredible water taxi system that goes between Norfolk and Portsmouth. And it costs $4 to, to ride. And, you know, a lot of tourists, uh, as, as well as some locals, ride it every day. But I think that we could develop an all-electric water taxi system along the Tennessee River that, you know, if we charged $4 to ride that, it would be a huge source of revenue for Carta. And that would provide a lot of the money uh, that would be needed to, to reroute the system. Um, people don't realize just how profitable the incline is, as a matter of fact. Okay. Uh, Carta nets, this is nets, not grosses, but Carta nets almost a million dollars a year from the incline. And again, these are tourists, people from outside Chattanooga for the most part, who are riding the incline. But if we can make a million dollars off the incline every year, imagine what we could make from water taxis uh, along the Tennessee River. So I've, I, I'm not just proposing things without a way to pay for them. Uh, I've, I've got ideas about how I'm going to, to do the things that I want to do. And, and I think it'll be a great thing for, for our city. One thing that comes to mind for me uh, personally with, with CARTA is kind of last mile transportation. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, I live in District 5 in the Brainerd area. Um, I'm maybe half a mile to a mile off of Brainerd Road. And, you know, for me, I can't even get to a bus stop uh, without walking along the side of the road with people driving 40 miles an hour and around these blind curves. Um, right. And so I'm, I'm wondering about that kind of last mile transportation, sidewalks, bicycle lanes, how do we prioritize that and make, make sure people are safe once they get to the bus stop, how do they get to their home? How do they get to their store? And then uh, a, a related question as well is kind of density. Um, you know, I, I personally kind of question if, if Chattanooga has the density throughout the city. There are areas that do have the density, but I question if, if the whole city has the density to sustain a, a bus system, you know, throughout the entire city limits. So relative to the last mile problem, uh, and just for uh, your audience members who may not know what that is, uh, in transportation, people say that the biggest conundrum is how do you get people to the last mile of their destination? Uh, you can get people close, but until you can, can take a person almost to their door, uh, the doorstop of their destination, they're, they're going to be resistant to using public transit. Uh, the good news here is uh, Vanderbilt and uh, UT were just given a $3 million grant to work with uh, CARTA and Chattanooga specifically hmm. on finding solutions to this problem. Uh, there's a company that started up at Oak Ridge National Labs uh, that, that's making autonomous uh, uh, minibuses, if you will. And, and, and what they propose is that uh, every rider would have an app and you could go on your, say your Carta app 
and you could schedule a pickup from say a a six or eight passenger uh, uh, autonomous uh, uh, minibus and it would pick you up and then take you to the nearest bus stop where you could then get on a regular bus and, and go on your destination and you could schedule a pickup at your, at your end uh, point to, to get picked up to, to take you to your final destination. I think those are going to be the solutions that we're, that we're going to, to see around that particular problem. Uh, it's it's going to be technology driven, and as as you've already mentioned, Nathan, density plays a factor there too. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Area Three River to Ridge plan that uh, has just been adopted here in Chattanooga, but uh, it it deals with uh, how we can reasonably and sustainably increase density so that it makes more sense uh, for people to use public transit and that you can expand the, the routes to provide better service too. Right. And for anybody interested in that River to Ridge plan, I will try and remember to put a link in the show notes so that anybody who's interested can read that. Um, I want to I move back a little bit and talk about the several questions here about the budget and that whole process. Um, first of all, the, the current administration, the Burke administration, they've split their agenda into four focus areas, smarter students, stronger families, safer streets, stronger neighborhoods, and growing economy. How would your organizational priorities be and and how would those priorities affect both the organization of the city departments, which you would have control over, and also how would they affect the, the budget? Those are those are great sounding priorities. I mean, who can object to, mm-hmm. to any of those things? Um, there, there are a few things that I would do differently. Uh, I would, for the most part, blow up the budgeting for outcomes system that the Burke administration has put into place. Uh, what I don't like about it is that it lumps core city services like you know fire and police uh public works uh they're lumped in with everything else and they have to provide a justification for why they should get uh uh, their share of the budget i would want to take core services essential services if you will out of the bfo process because we know that we, we have to provide money for paving our streets, for fixing potholes. We know that we have to provide service for, uh, for the fire department. Um, I, really, I really don't want the, the leadership of the fire department spending a lot of time trying to justify why they need another ambulance or why they need another fire truck. You know, let's just let's just get around the table and figure that out. Um, And then for what we might term non-essential services, yes, we can have a process for the money that's left over. Uh, But I I don't think everything needs to be part of the BFO process. The other thing that I don't really like about it is that despite having public meetings where – input is gathered from from the public it's 
it's not true participatory budgeting. And the choices that those participants have are limited inside well-constructed boxes that the administration has put together. No one gets to go to that meeting with a blank page and go, you know what? I have this idea. Let's spend some money over here on project A. That's not how it works. I compare it to um, how I would uh, give my daughter choices to, of clothes to wear when she was uh, uh, in kindergarten. Uh, mm -hmm. And and I would want her to think that she was picking uh, what she wear that day. And so I wouldn't just open up the closet door and go, hey, what do you want to wear today? I would go and I would pick out two outfits. And I would say, I'm going to let you choose what to wear today. Mm -hmm. You can either choose outfit A or outfit B. And she would go, oh, I'll pick outfit B. And she'd be perfectly happy thinking that she'd had total choice. Well, no, she didn't have total choice. <laughs> she had a very limited choice that was constructed by me. And that's what the BFO process is like. I have already been talking to the Participatory Budgeting Project in New York. They are a nonprofit organization that does participatory budgeting in some of the largest cities in America, including New York. I think that we can bring them to Chattanooga. We can educate citizens about what real participatory budgeting is, and we can set up a process that works. And so instead of giving uh, residents of a neighborhood a lot of, uh, of false choices and, and telling them that it's really their decision, I want to, I want to say, Here's a half million dollars. How would you like to spend a half million dollars? Let's come together and you tell me, you tell the city what your priorities are. And, you know, this is going to be really crazy. Suppose several neighborhoods came together and they said, you know what? There's something really big we want to do. So instead of just using the half million dollars for ourselves, we want to pool those resources, and now we've got $2 million, and we can really do something spectacular with that. Um, I don't know any other way to say it, but I think Chattanoogans are going to lose their mind when they see the <laughs> budget, and it's going to be losing their minds in a good way. Um, we're too paternalistic. We don't trust one another. We, you know, our elected officials say, oh, I'm smarter than you are. You've elected me. Don't you worry about this. I'm going to make the right decision. Well, yeah, that works in some areas for sure. But I think that if you are the person who lives in, who's been living in a neighborhood for 10 years and, and your kids go to, the, go to school and your kids play in the park there, don't you know it's really best for your own neighborhood? Right. So, so I, I think bringing real participatory budgeting to Chattanooga is just going to be a life-altering, mind-blowing experience. Um, let's see. Yeah, that sounds really great. Um, let's see, where am I? So there, there are a couple, moving on, there are a couple areas of the budget which have come under... Actually, let me back up. Sorry. Um, you did mention... Before I move on, you did mention taking core services out of the BFO process. 
Mm-hmm. I was wondering, do you have a list ready of what those core services are, or is that something you're still working through? That's something I'm still working through. I, I think it's safe to say that the three areas that I listed, uh, public uh, safety, meaning fire and police, okay. uh, uh, and public works, I, I, I think those those are really essential uh, core areas. We right. all want our trash picked up. We all want the potholes fixed. We all want the fire department to come when we need them. And we all want to live in safe neighborhoods. So so I, I think we should remove those for sure out of the BFO process. Okay. And then that actually leads in really well. Um, my next question is that, you know, fire and police have both come under particular scrutiny uh, when it comes to the budgeting process. Uh, currently, firefighters, they're, they're paid on salary, but when you count for the number of hours that they work, most of them actually only make about $10 an hour, which is below federal poverty wages. Um, and this is really hurting our retention rates. It's something that the fire chief has, has brought up as a big issue because we're losing firefighters to better paid departments in other cities. And he said at a recent city council meeting that raising pay would, would require an extra $3.5 million. Um, so, so how would your administration handle the issue of, of fire departments and, and their retention rates and, and those, you know, low wages? I'll, I'll come back to the fire department in a second, uh, but the city of Chattanooga has an even bigger problem than this. Um, there are about 3,000 employees of the city of Chattanooga, and 40% of all city workers um, qualify for some degree of public assistance. Um, we do not pay our city workers enough money, be they uh, administrative people who work in city hall or firemen who are you know, working on the line every day. Um, I have met with the executive committee of our firefighters union, local 802 here, and um, uh, and I've said to them, I said, look, we've got to get your wages up, but we've got to get the wages of all city workers up too. And by my estimation, it's going to take us about three years to uh, totally get everybody up to where uh, they should be. Um, because when you raise the base pay for an employee, you've got to also raise the wages of the employees who are making more than that mm-hmm. to be fair to them. Uh, and, and I want to be clear that when I'm, I'm talking about a three-year period to phase in these pay wages, pay, pay, pay raises, I'm talking about base salary. I'm not talking about performance raises, cost of living raises, the things that workers get every year, they would continue to, to get. It's, it's the base that I'm talking about. It's going to take us right. three years to, to phase it in. So that would apply to all city workers and, and the fire department? And, that- and, the, and the fire department too, absolutely. Okay. And, uh, uh, and I got really positive feedback from the executive committee of the firefighters union. Uh, they just they just want to know what's going to happen. They stability, you know, yeah. Right. It's there's a a lot of our workers and, and particularly the city workers have been told um, it's coming. You know, we've got you in next year's budget. 
right? You're, we can't do it now, but just give us a little time. And, and, but there's been no commitment there. I, I want to lay it out. I want to say this is what we're able to do now. This is what we're able to do next year. And we're going to continue to, to do that. Uh, I, I think it's also kind of silly that we've got this uh, $70 million rainy day fund. And, and even in a pandemic, it's been like pulling teeth to get the city to tap into the rainy day fund. If a pandemic doesn't qualify as a rainy day, I don't know what the definition of a rainy day is. And so I, I understand that if I take $10 million out of the rainy day fund as mayor, I'm, I'm going to have to put it back. It's not like I'm just going to loot it today and, 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 and it's not going to get put back. But there's no reason why we can't use some of that money to address some of these real, you know, important issues. Um, I believe in the current class uh, entering the, the fire academy, uh, I, I want to say that uh, uh, they, they got something like 100 uh, uh, applications. And then when the, the applicants found out how low the pay was in Chattanooga, they ended up with only three people out of that, oh, wow. out of that 100. So it's a real problem. And we're going to have to do something about it. So I, I want to come back to that point about the rainy day fund, especially as it relates to the pandemic. But first, uh, I want to ask a question about policing in particular. There's been a lot of conversation around policing since, especially since the death of George Floyd this summer. There, there are a lot of different suggestions. And this is another one of those issues you cannot make everybody happy. Um, but people are talking about, you know, the police are fine the way they are or they need new training, or we need divestment and reinvestment, or some people are just saying, just defund the police and like, let's come up with a new system altogether. Um, this really came to a front here in town when we proposed the newest budget this last summer, and I think 200 people signed up to speak at the city council meeting because the, the police department is getting $70 million out of, I think, a, a $240 million operating budget, uh, something along those lines. So what is your administration going to do to ensure that all Chattanoogans feel safe? And do you expect to enact any significant changes to the policing budget? Sure. We are going to have to change our total approach to policing and public safety. Uh, I have been asked many times, you know, if I'm in favor of defunding the police. And my answer to that question is, I am in favor of radical change for our police department and for the way we deliver public safety. I don't know whether that means a smaller budget or whether that means a larger budget. Because right. when we start looking at changing hiring practices, changing training practices, hiring mental health professionals, hiring social workers, the total budget for delivering, you know, policing, if you will, I prefer to say public safety, the total budget for delivering public safety may be a larger number, but the department will be radically different. And when I talk about ways in which I would change it, here, here are some of those ways. Um, we've got to look at the root cause of some of our crime. 
in conversations I've had with Chief Roddy, he has told me that 65% of all burglaries in Chattanooga are related to some kind of, uh, of addiction. And, and so if 65% of burglaries are related to addiction, do you think we solve the burglary problem by just locking up people every time they commit a burglary? Or would it be a better use of our money to actually treat the addiction, to, to give people the access to rehabilitation uh, that, that, they, that they need? Um, that's the better long-term solution than just locking up the same addicted people over and over and over again. Uh, how many people commit crime because they're poor? We live in a city that has a 35% child poverty rate, and this is a pre-COVID number. Uh, Two-thirds of all households in poverty are headed by single women. So wouldn't, it, wouldn't we be better off trying to, to raise the, the standard of living for single mothers, their kids, and their families than than just allowing them to continue to be mired in poverty. And then when they're in the depths of despair, they make a decision to go out and commit a crime, maybe uh, because they want to you know, feed their families. Uh, I saw, I saw, was it last week? It, it, was, uh, it was probably two weeks ago. There's a police officer in Massachusetts who was called to a store because two women were shoplifting groceries and they were there with their kids. And he pulled one of the women aside and talked to her and she said, you know, we're doing this because we want our kids to, to be able to eat uh, this holiday you know, season. And, uh, and we know it's wrong and we're sorry, but I just, I just couldn't watch my kids be hungry. And so the police officer ended up buying their groceries for them and, uh, and, and not arresting them. Uh, and so we've got, to, you know, we've got to look at what motivates people. If you go to the juvenile detention facility on 3rd Street, you will find you know, that we have teenagers just locked up. Uh, but while they're locked up, we don't provide them any counseling. We don't provide them any kind of anger management therapy. We don't do anything to find out, you know, you know, what was going wrong in their lives that, that landed them in that juvenile detention facility. We just let them hang out all day, introduce them to gang members, and, uh, and, and we put them back out in the streets where where the only people who've, who've offered to provide any kind of help to them are the gangs. So, so when, I, when I talk about this, you know, and, and again, if, look, let's look at New Orleans. New Orleans has made the decision to totally outsource the investigation of minor traffic accidents. So if you get into a fender bender in New Orleans, an armed police officer isn't who rolls up. It's, it's someone from this company who's going to take down the facts of, the, uh, uh, of the, the case and issue a citation if a citation needs to be issued. 
But why do we send an armed officer to investigate fender benders? Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, cities like Denver and Seattle, uh, you know, have invested in social workers and mental health uh, uh, professionals to to go to de-escalate situ situations. Um, we we need to be uh, more in the business of de-escalation. Uh, now, having said now, having said all of this, I think what happened in Washington yesterday is a good example of something that I've been saying. Um, I tell people that I don't want to be known as the city that has defunded its police department. Because if I'm a neo-Nazi, if I'm a skinhead, if I am someone wanting to go to a city and protest and make trouble, then I'm going to the city that has defunded its police. Uh, uh, I. I'm not, I'm not worried about the peaceful Black Lives Matter protesters. I'm worried what happens when the skinheads and the neo-Nazis show up. We, we, we do need a SWAT team to go in and be able to, uh, to, to handle those situations. So uh, in some respect, you have to be careful what we ask for uh, because there are some negative consequences that we want to avoid. But uh, that may have been a longer answer to the question, Nathan, than, than you really wanted to have. <laughs> but, but I want people to understand that when you start with a commitment to radical change, mm -hmm. I don't think you should put yourself in a budget box by saying right. the number I come up with has got to be a lower number. Right. It yeah. might be a higher number, but the product I'm gonna give you, you're gonna love. Hmm. No, I think it's a complicated question and it definitely deserves a, a longer answer. And, and I think you've done a, a good job explaining what your position is there. Um, I wanna move back a little bit. We were talking about uh, the, the rainy day fund and especially how COVID has impacted that. And I wanna talk about COVID more generally. Um, so, I mean, for better or worse, the, the Hamilton County Health Department has most of the authority over the actual effects of the disease. They have the authority over the mask mandates and all that kind of thing. Um, but there, there is going to be a, a large economic fallout. Even after we've taken care of the virus, I know the vaccine is already rolling out and there's a lot of hope on that front. But even after we've taken care of that, there's small businesses that are struggling. There are people getting evicted from their homes. Um, and even, you know, the people who are being evicted, their landlords are having a hard time finding renters. And so the landlords are having trouble and they're getting evicted. Uh, you know, there's all, there's this whole chain of, of effects that's, that's going to come from this economic fallout. And I'm just wondering how is your administration going to help Chattanooga recover? Not so much from the, the health effects of COVID, but from the, the economic effects of COVID. I think that, that, Everyone who has been damaged as a result of this pandemic has got to be given a get out of jail free card. There's got to be a do over for them. So if you are a small business owner and you lost your business, the bank cannot hold that against you. You should be able to to go in and, and refinance and, and and rebuild the the business if that's what you want to do. If you are you know a, a family and 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 you 
you know, you, you, your breadwinners lost their jobs and, and, you know, your credit has been damaged and all kinds of things like this. This can't be held against you. So, so the first thing that we have to do is we have to uh, bring our banks and our, you know, our lending institutions to the table. And we've got them to commit to working with people to, to give everybody a second chance because this situation was not caused by any of us. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is nobody's fault that, that this has happened. And so we're, we've got to provide a way out of that. Uh, and that is one way that the Rainy Day Fund can, in fact, uh, be used. Um, maybe it's, it's used just as a pool of collateral. Maybe we guarantee some of the, uh, the loans that, that, that we're asking the banks to, to make. We're not actually using the dollars, but we're putting them up as a backstop. Uh, right. the repayment. And, and I think that's something that we definitely can, can do. One of the advantages, I think, of having uh, Joe Biden be the next president of the United States is I think that there's going to be more relief for cities coming from the federal government. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank, said publicly, we do not want to make the mistake of not making uh, uh, the funds that we provide too little. He said it's better to err on the side of giving people too much than giving them too little because we'll cre- we, we, won't, uh, uh, we, we won't help the problem by not putting enough money there to, to help. So I think the Biden administration is going to listen to what uh, the Fed chair has said. And I think we're going to see a pretty big relief package coming from the federal government. The other thing that's going to come from the federal government is finally cities are going to get an infrastructure package. Uh, I think that mayors and city council people all across this country have been holding on for dear life thinking that surely Congress is going to approve an infrastructure uh, program. And, and they haven't. They, they haven't done it. Uh, I'm hoping that now that Democrats control all three branches of government, that we're finally going to get an infrastructure program. Uh, and that's going to provide some, some relief. Uh, the... The last thing that, that I will say is, is one, of the, one of the good things that has come out of the pandemic is we have seen our capacity as neighbors, as human beings, as Chattanoogans. We've seen that capacity expand to be able to help each other. And I hope that we don't forget how we came to the aid of our, our, our neighbors and our fellow Chattanoogans, and that that is something that we continue to do. Uh, and government needs to be compassionate. Uh, you know, I hear some of my other candidates brag about their business credentials. I should be the mayor because I'm a business person. Well, government's not a business. Government is there to stand in the gap. It's there to take 
a certain amount of risk on behalf of its citizens. And it's there to prop people up when they need help. And we're in a situation where the next mayoral administration for sure had better have a great deal of compassion and had better be uh, focused every day on improving the lives of people who have been struggling, struggling. And if, and if you are lucky to get to the other side of COVID-19 with your life and, 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 and with some ability to go back to work, then your government should be there to, to, to stand with you and to make things easier for you, not to make things harder for you. So there's two follow-up questions I have there. Uh, first, with regards to the, the lenders, talking with lenders, trying to do kind of a, a reset of sorts. Um, you know, all due respect to the position of mayor and to the city of Chattanooga, but, but I kind of question the ability of a city of our size to, to do business with, you know, you know, the largest lender in the country is, I think, Quicken, and they're this multinational corporation that has, you know, however many millions of loans out. Um, I could see something like that working with local credit unions, perhaps, but with these bigger corporations, I'm wondering what the actual feasibility of that is. Um, I was just wondering your thoughts on that and if you had any more specifics on how you intend to go about that. One of the things that I want to do as mayor is form a council of the mayors of Tennessee's four largest cities. Memphis, Nashville, Knoxville, and Chattanooga. Those four cities account for about 65% of the population of the state of Tennessee. I recognize that it may be difficult for the mayor of Chattanooga to get the attention of, of some of these uh, large institutions, but everyone is feeling this pain point. It's not just here in Chattanooga. And I believe that if the mayors of Memphis, Nashville, Knoxville, and Chattanooga come together, and we're representing 65% of the population of the state of Tennessee, that we can get some people's attention. And, and you know, and if, if push comes to shove, I think that we ought to be prepared to go together to the courthouse and ask for relief from the courts you know i'm i'm not above suing people to uh if it's in the best interest of my constituents and i think that that i can make a persuasive case to other mayors that they should join me in that effort um i am a carrot and a stick kind of guy i'm going to ask you politely to begin with and i'm going to hope that i get the outcome that i i deserve but at some point i got to bring out the stick and, and I refuse to be bullied by a Quicken Loans just because they're big. Well, you know what? I got something for you too. Um, and, and that's what leadership is. That's, that's, that's not just about occupying an office. That's about standing up outside your office, going in the street with the people and saying, I am a freaking leader. And that is what we need. So I know we're running right about an hour. I, I'm happy to keep talking. Do you have anything to get to? Do you have 15 more minutes, say? Sure, I've got 15 more minutes. Okay, perfect. Uh, because I do have one more follow-up question from, from your COVID response. Uh, you, you mentioned an infrastructure package. And you know that is something that's been floating around for a long time. And 
I'm wondering how you would commit to using that. I know um, I read a lot of urban development type blogs and there's a lot of worry that an infrastructure package is just going to go to expanding highways uh, or, you know, areas where it may not be of the most use to actual citizens of cities. Uh, you may or may not agree with that. Uh, I'm wondering if the, an infrastructure package does come through, how would you commit to using it? What areas do you see that money going to the best use? Well, I think if you ask any Chattanooga, uh, uh, whether we need more highway expansion or whether we need more uh, repairs on our streets, I think that they're going to tell you that we need repairs on our streets. Um, COVID didn't slow down highway expansion very much in Chattanooga. It seemed to, <laughs> to keep going. Um, so, so my primary desire is to provide good paying jobs uh, to Chattanoogans and to improve their standard of living. And I think that we will do that by, by focusing locally, by focusing on neighborhoods, by focusing on streets, um, and as, as well, infrastructure is more than just streets. I, I don't want to minimize that. Uh, you know, infrastructure is our sewers. It's uh, right. uh, it's 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 a lot of stuff. Um, but I want to spend any money that we get from the federal uh, government in ways that increase the the security the income and the wealth of Chattanooga's families. And so that would be my commitment. Uh, you know, until we see what the packages are, it's going to be tough. To, right. It's hard to say to, to, to nail down those specifics, but, but in general, um, I'm going to shy away from those large highway projects that are essentially just wealth transfers from the federal government to uh, to large uh, construction entities and, and their owners uh, and focus more on neighborhood-based products and projects where I know that Chattanoogans are not only going to benefit, but are also going to be employed. And, and that's right. very important to me. Great. Uh, moving on to a, a somewhat related issue. I know we've talked a little bit about evictions and, and that sort of thing. Homelessness is a growing issue in the city. And, you know, we can only expect it to continue to be an issue with the fallout from COVID-19. What is your administration going to do to address homelessness in the city? The, the first answer to homelessness is, is providing housing. The answer to homelessness is a home. So the city owns quite a bit of, of real estate that either is vacant land or empty buildings. And, and we're going to have to do things like create urban land trust uh, to provide uh, uh, affordable housing. Uh, so so we're, we're gonna have to put more city assets in the game. Uh, you know, we've got this land bank that has, that has real estate in it, but I can't tell you what they do. I can't tell you why it exists. Um, but we have tools that we're going to have to bring to bear. Uh, and it's, it's, it's going to be finding ways to incentivize the private sector, but also putting actual real estate assets currently owned by the city uh, to bear to, to create a housing stock. 
the, the other thing that we have to do is we have to create a system that is focused not on just finding housing once someone has become homeless. We need to identify people who are in danger of going over the housing cliff. It's easier and less expensive to keep someone in their current housing than it is to find housing for them once they've already become homeless. And, and our, our current structure focuses on what do we do when someone becomes homeless, but we need to, to focus on what do we do to keep someone from becoming homeless. Uh, that's really a better utilization of resources. And I've got just one last question. It's very open-ended. What do you think is the most achievable change that can be made in Chattanooga? In other words, what's an idea that you have 100% confidence, no matter what political pressures are brought to bear upon you, you can implement this idea and carry it out when you, when you enter office? Sure. The number one thing that I know that I absolutely can do is I can give us the best public transportation of any mid-sized city in America. I can make CARTA free to ride for all people all the time, and I can make it a great public transit system that people will enjoy uh, utilizing. That's gonna be one of my top priorities, and I know without a shadow of a doubt that I will be able to deliver that promise. The other thing that I can say is I'm really tired of hearing city elected officials say, oh, well, we're not responsible for public schools. Those are run by the county. Um, I can't tell you what the improvement will be, but I can tell you that as mayor of Chattanooga, I will partner with the public schools inside the city limits of Chattanooga, and I will provide resources to those schools. It might be, um, better counseling. It might be providing mental health professionals to, uh, uh, to, to be there for, for students. I don't know what it means to be the better partner, but I am going to go to the superintendent of county schools and, and we're going to have a conversation about it and you're going to see rapid improvement in the quality of our public schools in the city of Chattanooga because I'm going to make that a top priority as well. Great. Well, I thank you very much for your time. Again, this is Monty Brule running for city mayor. And if you can tell everybody how to learn more. Sure. Uh, our website is montybrule.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Monty Brule for Mayor. And I believe we're on uh, Instagram as just Monty Brule. So uh, uh, you can find us there. Please follow us and uh, join Team Monty. We, we need you. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. I thank you for your time and good luck in March. Well, thank you, Nathan. I have really enjoyed it. And um, I, I will always accept an invitation to come back. If you want to learn more about the Monty campaign, you can visit his website, montybrule.com. This has been Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. If you're enjoying this podcast, please tell your friends about it. 
If you have any questions or feedback, send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com. Or follow me on Facebook and Twitter at chatcivics. If you're feeling especially generous, you can support the show by using the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.